Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Okay, so welcome everyone to the Happy at Work podcast. This is a very special episode because we have with us three professionals who have are early in their careers. They're all part of Generation Z. So we have Amelia, Beryl, and Jack with us today. And what I'd like to do to kick us all off is for you to each introduce yourselves Talk a little bit, maybe, about when did you graduate? What school did you go to uh, for undergraduate? And what are you doing now? So why don't we start with Amelia? Hi, everyone. I'm Amelia Haynes. I graduated from Yale in 2020, and I'm now a research manager with Corn Ferry, the Corn Ferry Institute. Excellent. And Beryl? Hi, everyone. I'm Beryl Wang. I also graduated from Yale in 2020, and now I'm project manager and content strategist at World 50, which is a membership peer network for executives. Excellent. Thanks, Beryl. And Jack? Hi, I'm Jack Beryl. I graduated from Georgetown University in 2020, and I currently work at Cypher Medicine as a clinical trial manager. Well, I'm so excited for you all to be here. So let's let's start with Amelia. So Amelia, when you think kind of from a Gen Z professional perspective, what do you think really makes your generation different from other generations, especially with regard to what happens at work? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think that there are probably a lot of things, but there are two that stand out to me really particularly. And I think it would be hard to not start by talking about the role of technology. The pervasiveness of technology and information, both in our world today, but also throughout the entirety of our upbringing, really kind of changes the game, in my opinion. We've got more opportunities, we've got more access to those opportunities. And I think in a lot of ways, there are a lot fewer barriers to those opportunities because of the role that technology plays in our lives. Got a lot more visibility into information. Like we've got more information about the salaries of the people who work in similar roles as we do. We've got more insight into the kind of work arrangements that they have. We've got more insights into other people's insights and into their opinions and what the market looks like and what the market might look like in the future. And we can use all of that information to inform our own experiences, to kind of check ourselves against them, to measure up and to inform the choices that we make in the future. And I think that that's really kind of fundamentally different from what existed before. I think before there was a lot of kind of constraints around where you were at the time and what you knew and how you got that information that was available to you. Now there's just an infinity of choices and possibilities, and it's a lot easier to access them in the first place. And then the second thing that I think is really hard to ignore, and I'm sure that Beryl and Jack would agree, is people who also kind of graduated right at the height of the pandemic. But the role of the pandemic was, I think, really formative and fundamental. I personally started my first job, my first real job out of college in August of 2020. So the pandemic was in full swing and I started as a remote worker and I've been a remote worker ever since. And so for me, the foundation of my adult life 
was kind of built in this environment of being a remote worker, of kind of existing in my work space and my work life online on Zoom, even the end of my education was online and on Zoom. And the the way that I operate as an adult in the space is kind of predicated on that context. And I think it's really easy for older generations when we talk about, you know, either hybrid work or the conflict between remote work and in-person work, there is a conversation of getting back to normal or going back to the old ways. But for Gen Z, it's not the old ways. It's kind of fundamentally changing how we understand our adult experience. And if you put that in the context of the technology piece that we just talked about too, the access, the availability, the information, the capability, it can also be hard or confusing for a generation to understand and justify why we should do that in the first place. So there are a lot of factors, but I think those are probably the two that stand out to me the most. Amelia, that, that's a great response. And understand some of our older listeners being like, oh, yeah, maybe it would be annoying for them to keep hearing, let's get back to normal when it's like, no, this is normal. So I appreciate your perspective. I have a question for Jack. So Jack, based on your own experiences, and maybe from what you hear from friends and peers, what do you think makes for a good work environment? Thanks, Michael. Yeah, I think that's a good question. It's it's something I've been thinking about a lot. I've been currently only in one work environment, but I've been able to have a, a variety of bosses and, and, and different experiences as I've grown with the company. And one thing that's kind of stayed consistent throughout all of it is uh, a, a want for there to be good amount of trust between me and whoever my direct report is. I think trust overall in the company is important, but in that relationship you have with your boss, I've come to really, really appreciate that. Knowing that person is not only looking out for me, but is being honest about the things that are occurring uh, in the company and, and, and where I'm headed personally when giving feedback. So yeah, I, I would say the trust is, is super important. And it's also important to note that that trust, if it's broken at any point, is extremely difficult to heal. Like in any relationship, if you are to misstep and, and abuse someone a certain way, it's really hard to get that ground back from where it's lost. It's very difficult to build that up. So I think for me, that's the focus I have right now is, is, is finding someone that I can really trust work environment so, so that I feel comfortable growing and, and expressing ideas. That is, I fundamentally agree and think that is is the heart of a lot of the relationships that have to exist between people, between humans. And therefore, when we get to work, sometimes people lose that human aspect of how you build relationships and trust is certainly fundamental to that. Beryl, and I'd love to hear first from you, Beryl, but again, Jack or Amelia, if you have other thoughts on this question, but what do you, when you, again, talk to your peers or even think for yourself around what really matters to Gen Z? So as a Gen Xer, it was all about salary when I graduated and my, it's the first question my parents asked me and I actually got a company card too. And that was, that was a bonus because it was monetary, right? But is it, Still compensation, do you think compensation is really important or are there other things that Gen Z is considering when they're looking at employers and who to work for? Is it work environment, culture, what else might matter? So Beryl, and then I invite Jack or Amelia if you want to also comment. I think that the most important aspect Gen Z looks for is having the opportunity to grow and really ideally finding the balance of contributing to your team and adding value today while learning new skills and building your tool set. I think 
a lot of us are high achievers who want to learn more and do more and achieve more. And I mean, all the other aspects you consider pay, culture, brand are all important, but they don't follow you. It's inherent to the company. So when you, you know, eventually move on in your journey, the only thing that you hold on to is the skills and abilities you've acquired. So whether it be learning from the people and finding those core mentors within your organization or learning from experience, just being in the role, that's probably the number one factor I look for. Yeah, I would agree with Beryl. There's there's a lot of factors to consider. And I, I do think they're all important. I think pay is kind of a threshold that gets people in the door. I think Gen Z in particular has a lot of financial considerations. You know, right now there's super high student debt levels and historically low student debt repayment levels. And that's, that's definitely on a lot of students' minds and a lot of, you know, young professionals' minds. There's so crazy things going on in the housing market and there's like really interesting things happening with inflation rates. But, you know, in our upbringing too, we kind of saw our parents grapple with, you know, periods of economic instability. And I think that the financial considerations are definitely on people's minds. And I think that like a livable compensation and a reasonable compensation is kind of a necessary threshold for getting Gen Z employees in the door. That being said, once that threshold is met, I don't think that pay is the thing that keeps people in the door. I don't think it keeps Gen Z employees loyal. I don't think it keeps them engaged. I think that's when the things that Beryl's talking about, like the development opportunities, the flexibility, the career architecture, the opportunities to be mentored. And then there are also a bunch of other things, kind of these social values that Gen Z seems to hold particularly dear to them, like consideration for mental health and well-being and consideration for community values and community outreach and effort, like commitment to sustainability and environmentalism. Those are all things that seem to come up a lot for the Gen Z employee. And it's the thing that after you've already gotten them into your company, after you've attracted them and onboarded them and hired them, those seem to be the kinds of things that create, you know, organizational loyalty and engagement that are really, really critical to making Gen Z stay. Jack, do you have anything else you would add? I overall really agree. It is, I think, a different perspective. Like pay is important for us, but it's much more like a, like almost like a, a baseline thing. Like you can't just keep someone with pay, like they're saying. And to me, what I think about, um, actually a mentor once told me this. They were just like, if all they're offering you in an interview is, is competitive pay and what they would call like a collaborative work environment. He essentially told me, he was like, that's nothing words to you. You shouldn't consider that actually anything at all. He's like, that's what everyone offers. So I think on top of that discussion of making sure you're getting that pay, I mean, it's it's assumed that you're getting competitive pay. I think there is an element of uniqueness that you need for the organization. They need to do something above and beyond others to really make sure that they have a healthy culture that's growing and, and, and feels like, you know, when you sit down and have a conversation with someone, I think it's important you say, oh, well, my company does X, Y, Z, and I've never heard anyone else do this. And I think it's amazing. And, And the other person going, oh, wow, I've, my company doesn't do anything like that. That's that's really interesting and, and keeps you engaged. And, and it can be a variety of things. I think it depends on the company culture, what that unique element is that's done for you. But I do think that's something that a lot more of our generation is looking for, some, something kind of really special. Wow, that's that's amazing, Jack. The healthy, healthy and growing, you know, you sort of think of those as like, how do you do both of those at the same time, right? So many companies have talked about winning and growing, but how do you do that in a way that feels... Like it's taking into account people as humans, the mental health, well-being, and doing it, you know, right for the environment. It's it's no easy task. 
And that specialness too, like obviously in companies, there's, you know, departments work on compensation and benefits, but who's really thinking about what you just said. So that's, that's really helpful. So Amelia, I wondered if there's anything you might want to add about some of the research. I know you're doing research at Corn Ferry, this topic. So is there anything more from the research that you'd want to add to this, to this discussion? I would say in, in, pretty simple terms. The research kind of supports everything that, you know, Farrell and Jack are saying. Development seems to be kind of the number one thing that's keeping Gen Z in their jobs. It's keeping them engaged. And people want to know where they're going. It's great to know where you are now and have that be a good thing, but what's down the line? This idea of long-term stability seems to be kind of crucially important to Gen Z. And, and maybe it's because of the experience of instability, maybe like the instability they've witnessed their parents or the instability that came from the pandemic, kind of looking down the line and saying, all right, this is great right now, but what's next? And what is my organization doing to help me get there, both in terms of developing skills or kind of helping me plan what my career steps look like and kind of teaching me how to apply those skills that I'm developing now to the future. I think that that really kind of comes out as a crucial factor in kind of keeping Gen Z engaged and retained. Yeah, I, I love these answers. I think I'm maybe a Gen Z wannabe, but you're also thoughtful about what you want. Like you're just mindful on like so many different aspects. I mean, I'm I'm Gen X. It was like Tessa said, you know, how big's the paycheck? Great. When do I start? How <laughs> was the end of the conversation? So, Jack, I've got a question for you. Can you can you talk about advice that you would give to companies that could help them? retain Gen Z employees? So they're already there. What do they need to keep them? What do you think? The number one thing, which I think Beryl touched on a little bit earlier, is growth opportunities and really mentoring. I think Amelia also touched on mentoring. That's something that I found pretty consistently is that when when you kind of feel stagnated at a job, that's when you start looking to hop somewhere else. And I do think you can balance that. I know companies on their end they don't want to be giving raises out all the time and that could be economically difficult for them. But I think there is a happy medium in between where you allow and you have conversations with someone about, would you be interested in doing anything else in the company? For example, at my company, they're allowing me to explore other options. Been in my role for a while, been in my department for a while. They liked the work I'd done there, but they were worried about me looking elsewhere. So they offered a different department that I found also super interesting as an opportunity to transition into. That meant a lot to me. They're just, just having the care put in to think, well, what else does Jack want to maybe do? How does Jack want to grow in the company and, and with him within himself? So I think that's something that's really simple and, and can be done for anybody that you're concerned about maybe leaving sometime soon. One of the, we had a guest recently who said that they look for organizations when they think about where they might want to work. One of the signs that they look for is whether or not they have a really good parental leave policy, not because this person was interested in having kids anytime soon, but they use that as kind of a signal or a sign about how they think about and care for employees. So I was wondering if there's anything that comes to mind that you all look for that you know is sort of a tell about whether or not an organization gets it and whether or not an organization is like really thoughtful about some of the things that you have said. Is there anything that comes to mind for you that that's an indicator? Something that I would look for in an interview is um, cultural fit in terms of like, are they able to have a conversation? I think a lot of times interviewers stick to very formal questions 
And if they only stick to very formal questions, I understand that is a good assessment of a person. But if they're not able to get to a point where they're conversational with you, and that's where I think I get a much better read of honesty of a person. Like if they always are very buttoned up, I mean, knows this, I I love to have a good conversation. Usually I can get someone flowing more naturally about things. So if they're buttoned up like that, I kind of have a fear that they're hiding something from me and they're not, even if they say those things I said before, right? Those kind of cheat words where they're like, oh yes, we have a competitive salary and a, and a, and a collaborative work environment. They repeat the, <laughs> and then I can't get them off the, when was the last time you, you know, had a challenging situation? If I can't yes. get them about themselves, their family, their kids, the work environment, last time they, you know, hung out with the whole team and a funny story from that, or just an interest, a personal interest, that's a big red flag for me, just because I think, and it's specifically if I'm talking to my boss, but I, I really would apply that to anybody, my potential boss in that interview, but I would apply that to anybody in the company, honestly. Yeah, that's so good. And probably there's, I'm assuming, maybe I shouldn't assume, but I'm assuming there's a listening part of this too for them, right? Like they're actually listening to what you're saying and like building the conversation from that. That's that's awesome. Thank you. Jack, just around that particular point, because as someone who started working in the 90s, it was it was a very sterile environment. It was very, we had a certain kind of conversations or dress, it was very formulated. And as someone who's now come 25, 26 years through my career, and and Amelia and I are colleagues, so I have worked really hard to try to be more vulnerable and more personable so that I seem accessible. And and I actually had to leave corporate to become a professor in order, I think, to build that level of accessibility and become real with people and, and younger people. But it's really hard, I think, for older generations to understand the value and that level of vulnerability and that way to make a personal connection. So I think for people to hear you say that that's something that's really important, I think it's important for older generations to hear so that, you know, we don't put on this persona of I'm the boss and therefore I have to be perfect, that actually you're much more accessible and personable when you're, when you're not. Absolutely echo Jack's sentiments that, you know, that kind of room to not not only room to be your whole self and show up as your whole self, but kind of the modeling of that behavior is a really important signal. And it's definitely something that I look for. And I, I do see myself gravitating towards my colleagues that kind of model that behavior of like vulnerability and openness and candor. But Laura, what you said about kind of parental leave kind of reminded me of an email that we actually got uh, not too long ago, but that really struck me as like, a, oh, wow, like that's a signal that my company really cares about me. And it was about bereavement leave. And it was something that I hadn't really thought about even that much at that point. And, you know, maybe that's just the fortune of my circumstances, but they had bereavement leave for a number of different categories and, you know, from children to, to parents to extended family. And I noticed that they had bereavement leave the loss of a pet. And I felt really understood in that moment. I was like, yeah, like there are people who don't have children, but who have these really close special relationships. And I have a company that's willing to honor the range of those and give me the room to honor those as well. And I think for a lot of people that might feel like a small thing until it's not. And just recognizing that I I was in an organization that kind of made room for me to, you know, care a lot about my dog as much as I care a lot about my parents or care a lot about my siblings, just really understanding that I was in a space that welcomed that signaled a lot to me. And I think that those kinds of things signal a lot too. 
Gen Z in particular, but probably a lot more people out of Gen Z too. And Beryl, did you want to respond as well? Sure. So what Jack was saying earlier about, you know, finding, being able to make connections during the interview process, as well as when he mentioned earlier, trust between you and a manager, it reminded me of a Forbes article a, a couple of weeks ago now that found that for most people, I think they said around 75% say that their manager is the single person that has the greatest impact on their mental health equal to their partner. And that is just the staggering statistic that I would agree with, you know, whether or not your manager respects you and your time and cares about you as a person just makes a world of a difference at work and can really bleed into your personal life as well. So that concludes part one of our conversation with our Gen Z panel featuring Amelia, Beryl, and Jack. Please join us next week as we continue the conversation and learn more insights into what Gen Z is seeking from the workplace. Hope to see you next week. Bye.